Tonight the shivs are basically on Rosh Hashanah, and like every yontif, it's very good if when you go before you go into a yontif that you understand the pinimius of the yontif. And unfortunately, most most attempts at clarifying yontivim, all the different protim and so on, usually wind up to be either musa or they can comprise sermons and so on. And uh, of course, the most important approach is to look at the premise of the Yontav, what it really consists of, what the major issues, the major Ruchnistige issues in that Yontav really is. And that's what I wanted to talk about in terms of Rosh Hashanah. Uh, because from, from these forms that I've seen, either they deal with it on a fragmented basis or they seem to miss the point, of, you know, whatever reason. So I felt it was really very important to to treat uh, Rosh Hashanah from its, you know, from its essence, what it really is all about. And as such, I'd like to begin this year and ask certain questions, <clears throat> which will highlight our ignorance of this yantaf, you know, uh, and really what, what really has to be answered to understand the essential concepts that are uh, embodied in this yantaf. Or ultimately, based, you know. <clears throat> Although, yeah, I, the answer I would say, certainly say yes. So the first question I'd like to ask is, <clears throat> what is the essence of Rosh Hashanah? What exactly is that or that light or that hashpor? That's really what it is. That hashpor, that 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 divine influence that characterizes Rosh Hashanah. That's the first question. What is the essence of Rosh Hashanah? Now, what seems to be the case in terms of Rosh Hashanah is what's the concept of din or judgment. This seems to be what's going on, that a man is judged. And that's really what we, what we uh, you know, we go to shul. Most of our tefillahs are that the Rebbe should remember us and should judge us kindly. Uh, we should be written in the book of life and so on. So, obviously, an essential facet of Rosh Hashanah is judgment. The question really is, what is the judgment that occurs on Rosh Hashanah? Most, most people seem to focus that it consists basically of the judgment of man. And what we will see after tonight is that the truth is it's not true. Man's judgment is a peripheral to something which is much more important, uh, which we will see. So the first question is, what is the essence of Rosh Hashanah? The second thing question I'd like to ask is, why is it that everything is judged in 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 Usana Toikev? In you know Unusana Toikev in uh, which is one of the famous uh, parts of one of the famous parts of um, the Tfilah. Clearly it says there that it clearly says there that uh, everything is judged. course as a shepherd as a shepherd brings in his flocks and he counts them and so on and so forth uh, the same thing happens over here everything is judged Malachim are judged uh, the entire spiritual universe is judged as well as the entire physical universe so we obviously see that man is not the only one that goes through judgment so then my question is why is everything else judged if it's basically a judgment on man, then why is everything else judged? To it's what purpose? Everything is judged. Everything. Every, literally everything is judged. So the question then, of course, um, 
presents itself in that why is everything judged if essentially the judgment is basically on man now some people want to offer some kind of explanation that since man is the central idea of the universe if man gets judged and everything else has, gets judged well there's no connection there's no explanation why is it because man is the primary being the, or the being that the universe uh, has its rationale based in so then why should everything else be judged it doesn't explain you know just because we're judged Everything else got to schlep, get schlepped into it. Isn't, it doesn't explain. So therefore, that's the second question. Why is it that everything is judged besides man? If the if it's really if the essence of Rosh Hashanah is a day of judgment for man, then why is everything else judged? That was the second question. Third question is why does judgment have to be on Rosh Hashanah? Because the truth is the two different concepts. Rosh Hashanah is the beginning of a new year. And uh, we could certainly celebrate it without judgment. Why does the judgment of the Rabbani Shalom on man have to take place in Rosh Hashanah? Why can it not, not take place at some other time of the year? That's a third question. <clears throat> no, it's basically a time of judgment. If the Rabbani wants to judge man, let it take place um, <clears throat> uh, any time. And as part of this question, the real question is there are basically um, three judgment times for man people familiar. Pe man mankind is judged three times. Rosh Hashanah is the first. When a man dies, that's a second judgment. And the third judgment is the Yim Hadin Hagorvanura. That judgment day which will encompass all creation at one time. That's after the Messianic era, after the Moshe Mashiach, before the inauguration or of the six thousand the seven thousandth year, Khat There will be a Yim Hadin Hagorvanura. So the, the, the question is, why is man judged now? Why not wait? Let a man live out his life, and then when he dies, he's got a judgment. That judgment, by the way, determines where a man will be in terms of Ghanaian or not. Exactly. But the reason why man has to have a third judgment, which is the final judgment, is because you are judged not only your acts which take place now, but you're judged on the consequences of your act. If you write a safer, for instance, right? And that safer, people keep picking up then every time a person becomes from or is moved toward Ruchnius, right, you get the reward. That's why. So you can't judge a man now because his actions, uh, the consequence of his actions continue. On the other side, it's reverse. If a guy writes a sefer, a book, which is full of meanness and atheism, uh, atheistic ideas, if you think that the guy's judgment stops when he dies, it's a mistake. Every guy who picks up that book and reads it and is influenced for evil, a brownie point goes for that for that guy, and it really adds up. So if you can imagine, people who have written uh, books on atheism and so on, what these guys are going to be worth when when the time comes, you know. In any case, so we see why man has to have a judgment uh, when he dies to establish what happens to him in terms of Ganeid, no Gehenna, whatever, and then Yom Hadin. But why does man have to have a judgment in Rosh Hashanah? Why not wait? Now you may say to me, okay, I'll tell you why man has to have a day of Rosh Hashanah. Because if, you, if we don't have a day of Rosh Hashanah, nobody's going to do tshuva, right? There's a warning. God says, look, I'm going to judge you guys once a year. Do tshuva or else. So it's really for our benefit. That's what it sounds like, right? It's for our benefit that Rosh Hashanah judges us once a year. Because if he never judges at all, then, uh, then the man would just continue and never really be awakened to do tshuva. Except maybe once in a blue moon. But like this, the Moshim says, look, I'm going to judge you, therefore it's an opportunity for you to judge. Maybe that's the reason why there's a Rosh Hashanah every year. 
But I contend that is not the case. That if it was merely to Ma'ira Tshuva, the Russian does not need a Rosh Hashanah. He's got his other ways of sending, uh, sending uh, pain, suffering, whatever, that will awake man to Tshuva. He does not need this glorious Rosh Hashanah to inaugurate that. Besides the fact that that doesn't, it's not sufficient to answer the many other things going on in Rosh Hashanah, uh, of course, the most important of which is Shefa. What is the mystery of Shefa, which we'll get to. Uh, in any case, so therefore that is the um, third question, fourth question, whatever. Another question is that we see when the Rebbeinu refers to Rosh Hashanah in the Torah, he never calls it Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah is referred to in the Torah by either the word Yom Trua, a day of blowing, or Zichrin Trua, a remembrance of blowing. Okay, why? Why? Which would which would seem to indicate somehow that the concept of Trua, which is blowing, which is Shefa, obviously, is the essence of Rosh Hashanah. But why? We blow Shofar, we don't even know what it does. How in the world could we understand its essence? And because the Rebbeinu calls it Yom Trua, so that indicates that that is the essence in some mysterious way of Rosh Hashanah. Because generally what you call a day reflects its essence. As the Rebbeinu calls it Yom Trua, uh, what does that mean? Also, besides that, the Rebbeinu calls it Yom Trua and we call it Rosh Hashanah. Now, why do we call it Rosh Hashanah? Why does he call it Yom Trua? What does it really mean? You'll notice that these are very fundamental questions. They're questions which attack the basic knowledge which we all have in Rosh Hashanah, which we've been growing up for many years. But, <clears throat> obviously, if we cannot answer these questions, we are deficient. Not in the, in, the, uh, in the profound ideas of Rosh Hashanah, but even in the superficial understanding of Rosh Hashanah, if we really can't answer these questions. Another question is, that we know that Rosh Hashanah is a yontif. From the halachas, we know it's a yontif. It's a, it's a good day. It's like sukkahs and so on. But that's incredible. Why is Rosh Hashanah yontif? In fact, what's even more incredible is that the, there's a medrash that says that the malachim said, let, let the Jews say halal on that day. Imagine halal. So the Moshim answers, he answers, he responds in a way that had, had he not responded that way, the Malachim never could have figured it out. What is the answer? He says, since the book of life and death is open, why say Hallel? Now, take, let's take a look at the discussion between God and his angels, right? The angels say, let's say Hallel because it's a Yontif, and God says, no, it's not Hallel, because I'm reading the book of life and death. What's the, what's the give and take here? Not we understand the Malachim's Havamina, you know, what, what their... their um, the, the basis for such uh, a request is, and what's the profundity, what is the Roshim answering them? That's also difficult, obviously. It doesn't make sense, because Rosh Hashanah is really a Yontif. It has the halach of a Yontif, just like Tisha B'Av. Anyway, uh, in any case, Yontif that... that meaning good things happen. That yeah, it's a, it's a day of rejoicing. Yontif means a day of rejoicing, yeah. of yeah. Simcha. In other words, that's what Yontif means. It is not a day of mourning. Yom Kippur is not a Yontif. It's a day of tshuva. Yeah, sure there is. Sure, that's what a Yontif is. It's a mitzvah simcha in Rosh Hashanah. That's what it means to be a Yontif. So the question is, so some people try to answer, well, it's a simcha because we walk out, uh, you know, uh, we walk out um, uh, acquitted. 
winning and acquitted and so on and so forth. You know, but what about those people who don't walk out <laughs> winning and acquitted? So they're going to say, you know, yeah, you know, why did I eat the meat on Yantif? You know, never Chazal, you I had this year, you know, what was the point of it all? But anyway, obviously there's something more profound that it's a Yantif, not because the Jews, you know, are, because a person can be found acquitted and so on. Anyway, that's another question. Also, we see that in, uh, in, in Rosh Hashanah, the tefillahs of Rosh Hashanah, are ba- the structure of the tefillahs consists of three areas. One is called Malchus. In the Musaf, we read many psukim that refer to God's sovereignty or kingship. Malchus. Uh, in fact, that's the major part of Mekadesh, uh, you know, in Rosh Hashanah, is, uh, and, and, and so on. The second, the second concept is Zichronus, remembrances. So we say Zichar Bris. And the third concept of Rosh Hashanah is what's called Shefras. We, we mentioned all the different times that Shefer was blown by Martin Torah, Vahoyu Bayomahu, you know, the Leslova uh, and so on. So we have these three ideas. And really the Gemara says, why do you have these three? Because the Rosh Hashanah says to them that Imulafon, I say in front of me, verses concerning my kingship, my sovereignty, uh, remembrances, remembrances in terms of what you've done, and Shefras. The Rosh Hashanah says, why? You should say uh, verses concerning my kingship that you should uh, anoint me king, okay, appoint me king. You should say uh, verses about remembrances, that it should be good for you because what the Jews essentially do is they say remember, uh, remember us for the good that we did. And say in front of me, uh, Shefers. Yeah, exactly. This is the Chusim of Klaiso. The Zechroinus are the merits of Klaiso. Exactly. Exactly. We we benefit from the Chusim of the others, and so on. Not going into why, but anyway. Um, <laughs> in any case, so the question then is, what what is the essence of? Why do you have to have these three? And they constitute the fundamental structure of the Tefillah of Rosh Hashanah, and obviously it constitutes the fundamental um, uh, activity that has to go on in Rosh Hashanah. So the question then, of course, is why? What, what really goes on? Okay. <clears throat> Next question is Shefa. <coughs> what is the mystery of Shefa? Now, if you pick up Art Scroll, and you pick up something else, they'll give you, you know, see, you know, 14 reasons, you know, that you want to know about Shefer. They'll give you all of it, you know, you name it, everything is there. In fact, Rav Sadi going gives you 10 reasons. 10 reasons for Shefer, because it reminds us of, of Martin Torah, and it and gets us scared. It, 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 you know, throws a, a fear into us and so on. There are many, many, it's a Shefer, you blow horn by the anointing of a king and so on. There are many, many, obviously, allusions to Shefer. And the truth is that they're all true. Shefer really conveys the concept of all these things, okay? But obviously Shefer is far more complex, okay? Because of the halachas on Shefer. The halachas of Shefer is that there has to be a tkiah, a truah, and a tkiah. A tkiah is a long blast, a truah is a certain kind of blast, and a tkiah is another long blast. But there has to be, so you have three, and you have three sets of that. Now we do not know what a truah is. There has to be a tkia, a true, and a tkia. And there has, that has to be repeated three times. We do not know what a true is. By the way, true means crying. We, so we don't know if it's a, a sheva, which is a, a short, not a staccato, but a, 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 a short burst. That's our shvarim. Or it's a staccato. That's the true. We don't know if it's da, da, you know, and so on. So we combine it. Either we have tkia, uh, tkia, 
Shvarm kia kia tshuat kia tshuat shvarm tashat tashrat or tashrat. Shvarm is a form of tshuat. Yeah, yeah, we, yeah. Satisfies the day that is not a staccato. It's rather it's a it's that a short wail. Exactly because now where's this based on? I mean, what is and what determines this? And the answer is because the word uh, trua really means crying. And we don't know, because when a person cries, he exhibits one of three kinds of cries. One is a long, where a person gives a long wail. Another one is where a person gives a short uh, a gasp, you know. And another is where a person staccato, you know, he breaks down, da, 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 like that. So the truth is that when a person cries, it's one of three forms. So therefore, you have those kind of forms going on in Shafer. But I ask you, what does crying have to do with Shafer? Why are the halachas of Shafer based on crying? You know, what does that have to do with it? And again, there are, you know, all kinds of statements because of the cry of the Jews and so on and so forth. And they're all true. Yeah, and they're all true. But, you know, again, but does it reflect something far more profound? The concept of the cry as regards Shafer. Okay. <coughs> also, question is, why is it you, they blow shofar by Martin Turin and by Mashiach. When he comes, it's going to be by Yom You talk about shofar got on and so on. That, that day, the great shofar will be blown. Why? Why does the shofar have to be blown when the Mashiach comes? And why was the shofar blown by Martin Turin? Because it says there that the sound was increasingly loud and louder. Why? God needs trumpets, you know, to herald the approach of Martin Turin. What does it all mean? The next question is one of the most difficult questions of all, and I have never found a satisfactory answer. I'll attempt to give one, but I have never found a satisfactory answer, and you'll see why. It says the reason why we blow shofar is to confound the sultan, right? That's a famous statement. You tell me, because he listens to a shofar, he also gets confused. I mean, we are talking about a malach, right? Among, actually, among the greatest malachim ever created. Because that's what the Satan is. The Sitrachra is the greatest malachim. And he's designated, of course, to represent the forces of evil. You're going to tell me because somebody gives a true... It wouldn't scare a child, <laughs> right? You know, so, oh, if a kid's an infant, you know, one years old, the kid starts crying, he has a shofar, right? But basically, after about five years old, it doesn't scare anybody. You're going to tell me the Satan, either the Yetzirah, the Satan, the Mahamovas, and he comes all in all three forms, depending on which job he's attacking you at. You're going to tell me that he is confused and confounded because somebody's blowing chauffeur and shul? <laughs> you know? Maybe the one who's blowing chauffeur, he can't blow chauffeur correctly. So he's like confounded. He's saying, what kind of guy, what kind of chauffeur blows? <laughs> you know? But outside of that reason, I can't understand why the, why the sultan, why the Yetzirah or whatever, is confounded by chauffeur. I've never found a satisfactory answer. Either because some people say because he thinks that it's it's uh, Mashiach is coming, because since he knows so the Shefa, it's, 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 like it's like his death notice. Well, no, <laughs> Mashiach comes, and he's frightened. Well, yeah, the Raz. Well, he knows the curtain. He knows it's curtains. Yeah. That's it, the curtains, right? Yeah. We learn it has to do with Abraham. Yeah, but you know, obviously, it's something. What, what I mean, he knows Mashiach is not coming. <laughs> what does all this mean? You know, why, why is he saying he knows Mashiach is not coming? He is aware of the entrance of Mashiach or when the Mashiach is not going to come. I mean, he's not fooled because, because it just doesn't work that way. I mean, it, <coughs> that kind of a spiritual entity is not fooled by, you know, because of some event which is about to occur. Okay? In any case, there are different kinds of reasons, but they're not, look, you know, you, when you, you know, 
one of the things that you look for in Judaism is beauty. And one of the things you look for in Judaism is also profundity. That the answer you get, get is a profound answer that is what's called professional. You know, it really answers. It's not a drush or, or a cute vote or something that sounds like... Balances and satisfies you, say to you. Yeah, uh, uh, but in, uh, uh, sa satiates you intellectually. Right. You know, not satiate an, an eight-year-old kid. Well, yeah, yeah. I, I can say you want to tell an eight-year-old kid because he thinks the Mashiach is coming. So the kids say, wow, you know. If, don't, you can't tell this to a, a, you know, a bright, intellectual, you know, 25-year-old guy. What are you talking about, Mashiach is coming? What, what is he, some kind of fool? Well, that's not an, you know, where, where, where lies the real profound answer that will satisfy you intellectually? Really, that's what's missing. Any, any, any case, I throw that out as one of the questions, which I would like to deal with. And of course we know, not only, you, you, for instance, the psukim that deal, the psukim that deal with the sotan, it's a, it, it, the, the beginning letters is Korah Sotan, that the sotan will be ripped. That the, yeah, torn, right? Rent the sun or whatever. Why? Why does Shifa rip the Sultan apart? There is an incredible mystery in the Shifa that has to explain all these different ideas. What is Shifa, right? Why it's based on crying? Why it confounds the Sultan and so on? Then again, it says, Olo Elokim Betrua. If you look at the Lam Natseach, right? By Lam Natseach, it says, Olo Elokim Betrua, that the Roshim is raised by a trua. Why? What does that mean that he's raised by a blast? Okay. Then I'll ask again uh, another question. Why is it that the shofar is a chuk? It says chuk ki chuk Yisrael mishpat You know what does it really mean? Now we can answer that very simply. Well, it's very obvious. We don't know what a shofar is, so to us it's a chuk. Yes, yes. Chuk means a mitzvah that we do not know the reason, the underlying rationale. The Russian knows what it is. So it's not a. It's not a chuk. It's a mishpat. Yeah, so that sounds, which is true, you know, but there is something more profound. What it means that it's a chuk to Jew to, uh, to Jews, and it's a mishpat to the because the truth is that the reason why it says a chuk to us is even if we knew the mystery of shofar, it still be a chuk. That pasuk is an absolute statement. It's not a statement of our ignorance because we don't even know what a shofar is. It is a statement that even if we knew what a shofar was, it would still be a profound choik to us, even if we knew what the reason of a shofar is. But the so question, of course, is... Beyond our capacity to understand it, is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. Now. Well, it's beyond our capacity to understand the full depth of the shofar. Even if we knew what the shofar was, I mean, which, you know, even if we knew far more than we know now, right now we know nothing in terms of what a shofar is, mm -hmm. right? It would still be a choik. So on that level, what does it mean? You know, when I, it's a question which is really on another level, but we'll get to that level and then, you know, but then you'll understand why it's a chuk even on that level. And then the last question I'll ask is uh, the Akedah. Why is the Akedah read on Rosh Hashanah? Binding of Isaac on the... Exactly. Uh, by his father. Yeah, we all know what the Akedah is. When, uh, when Avram was tested, of course, if he would sacrifice his only son, and of course he did, the question is, what is the significance of the Akedah on Rosh Hashanah? Okay? Obviously, there's a profound reason, you know, uh, in terms of what's going on. Now, we could say, well, 
Shafer is a ram's horn, right? So we use a ram's horn because it remind it. It, it, it uh, there was a ram present at the at the ram the, present exactly. Was, was so therefore, we, so Isaac. people will say again, but again, this is superficial. But yeah, we have to. That's but the reason why we say that is because to remind God of the schusim, you know, or not remind God. He remembers obviously, but that we incorporate now. Plea that remember Avram withstood this temptation. So therefore, please consider it as We're part of our merit. And we connect with him. Yeah. He will consider it as part of our merit. But the question is, why the Akedah? There's many Nisyanists that Avram had. Why the Akedah? And so on. Obviously, we're singling out the Akedah for some specific reason. Not only because it's immensely great in terms of what Avram did with it, but also because there's a, a premium link. There is an internal connection between the Akedah and Rosh Hashanah. And the question is, what is that? Okay, that's it. I think it was 15 questions, yes. <laughs> and I'm going to try to answer all these questions basically with one idea. <laughs> so it's not to confuse everybody, you know. When you're talking about uh, the shape and how important it is, the shofia. Shofia. that was created, be the ram that got caught in the bushes was created before the world began. Exactly. I mean, it could have been any ram. But the, it was specifically created before the world began. Exactly. So was it the ram that was in the But you know the answer. You listened to him. tape 21, I right? I do. <laughs> it was not on the tapes. Tape 21. I don't know why it was created before the Why not use that you know. Tape 21 and Rabbi Because remember, I asked a whole bunch of questions. Why was that ram? Not only that, it says that. Why Why would it say that the ram was caught up in its no, horns? It's by the horns. Right? That was another question I asked. Why did the, why did the, uh, the Akedah, why was the last Nisayin of Avram? Why did it take this funny form where you have to offer up a son? Why oh, I asked all these questions and so on. What? And why was the Sutton waiting in the background? You know? Uh, see the results. And so on. What's, it sounds like everything's been waiting around for a long time for this. There's something going on that... Waiting. Oh. Anyway, but I, it's on the tape. 21. 21. Anyway. Uh... Uh, okay, anyway, anyway, that's basically so far the, uh, those are the questions. Okay, any questions before I go on? Answers next week. Huh? <laughs> no, the answer is this week. <laughs> you want to do okay, I placed myself a tall order, you know. You I hope I haven't gotten myself into something I ain't going to get out of. <laughs> and how this all applies to us, too. Naturally. Today in 57. Naturally, yeah. yeah. Yeah, But basically, the questions are very fundamental questions. We That's really what they do. By the way, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Sarah, Rivka, Leah, Rahul, all their interests today. We're not just people living in Brooklyn, wherever. We are. We are. We are no, yeah, okay. Of course, it's relevant today because we hear. No, no, she means. Mission. She no, means relevant. She means relevancy on a different level. She means what can we take away? That's what she means. All of it, the whole world, God. What can we take away to use now? Is what can I go home with and say, this is what I will use with me now? She means relevance on a different level. Okay. In order to answer these questions, we must examine the rationale of the acts of God. Now, that sounds like something you pick up in a daily paper, but uh, <laughs> they're not very rational. The daily papers, yeah, that's true. Also, um, 
I had mentioned it to, 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 to the other people, but I'm going to go briefly through some of the ideas, because the review is always good, especially in Ashkafa, especially at, at, when you were talking about a system. And uh, certainly for the people who are not knowledgeable about it, you know, they'll, they'll be able to gain an entrance. <coughs> the question is, this is the necessary uh, introduction to Rosh Hashanah. And the reason why people don't answer these questions or really have not grasped the essence of Rosh Hashanah is because they, they don't have this as a fundamental structure, as a fundamental prerequisite before you get to Rosh Hashanah. In order to understand Rosh Hashanah, you must understand the Anhogas of the Rabbanu Shalom. The Anhogah means his actions. And when I mean the actions of God, the, the understanding of why does God do things? What determines the acts of God? And the answer is that there are three ideas that determine the acts of God. It is that simple. And the Rosh is very interesting in the sense that he doesn't do anything for any other reason but these three. He is capable of narrowing himself down to only three motives. It's incredible. But anything he does is narrowed down to three motives, which itself is narrowed down to one. That's how simple the acts of God really is. Okay. The motive or the prime motive of God is only one idea, only one. There's only one reason why God does anything in, this, uh, in terms of how he relates to man. And that itself will express itself in three different forms. But there's only one reason why God does anything. Okay. The answer to that is to advance the purpose of creation. Unity. Period. What, wait, wait. Without going into what the purpose is. Just simple, a general statement. The only reason why the Russian will do anything is to advance the purpose of creation. The Russian created the universe for a reason. Whatever he does must advance the purpose. If he does not do it, it's because it won't advance the purpose. The converse is true. It's the only reason why he'll do anything. It's that simple. So in that kind of question answers everything. The reason why there are 40,000 species of beetles, and there are, is because every species of beetles is necessary to advance the purpose. God doesn't do anything, uh, you know, uh, for haphazardly, superfluously, or, you know, capriciously, whatever. He does it for that only reason. That means everything in this universe, creation, must advance the purpose, or God would not have brought it to being. Now, obviously, most of what's in creation, we cannot understand how it advances the purpose. Because, for instance, in the Amazon jungles, right? There's a whole jungle out there, there's a whole society, you know, a whole interaction, a whole ecological system that doesn't seem to have anything to do with man. But, down to the last flea or mosquito in that system, it's there because it must advance the system. Not only that, but animals become extinct because they do not have to exist anymore to advance the purpose. Therefore, they cease to be. Advancement of purpose is the rationale for being and for con continuity. If the purpose is no more advanced by your existence, you're out. It's that simple. It's really that simple. And the... Pr the, the, um, the non what? That includes everything. Any concept, any con everything, any concept that has being, is because it advances the purpose. It's that tight of a system. Okay? It's that tight of a system. Now, that's the general statement. It expresses itself in three forms. First form is called Hanhogas Akiyum, Hanhogas Amishpat, and Hanhogas Yichot, which people here are familiar with, those who have been involved are familiar with. 
But just as a reiteration, I'll explain what that means. What is Hanogas Hakim? Hanogas Hakim is <clears throat> that everything that was created in the Bria, the structure, the set, those actions which God does, which creates the entire uh, uh, infrastructure that man can now have in Isoyen, that's called Anhogos Akiyam. It's the Anhogo which fulfills the ultimate purpose of creation. And that answers the question of why the tiger looks the way it does, why there's a certain amount of species, and so on, the exact amount of plant species and animal species, why man looks the way it does, it answers why history goes the way it does, and so on and so forth. In other words, the entire structure of creation, its constituents and its circumstances, are answered by another Sakiyam. Because every single thing in that structure must be there to advance the purpose. And the actions of God, which determine that, is called another Sakiyam. It is the actions of God which are necessitated because all these products advance the purpose. Got that? That's another Sakiyam. In very brief statement. Okay? Now, part of Anogos Hakim, that's, that, that's the first aspect of Anogos Hakim. The whole structure exists. It's like the stage. You know, stage director? You had to give an example. It's like the stage exists so players can then act. But everything in the stage has a reason, right? All the props are there in order to advance the what? The theme of the play. It's the same idea. Anogos Hakim is a stage direction. Why everything, the lighting, the stage, everything that is the setup for the actors themselves. The second aspect of Anogos Hakim is man's navigation through the system. In other words, the Rebosham says, you know, it's funny, I never mentioned what the, the purpose is, right? Advanced purpose. What's for the purpose? What? Yeah, what I is wrote, the purpose? I, asked, I wrote that. Okay, Spend the purpose. For yeah, what? yeah, yeah. Well, I'm going to give that, I'm going to say that. What is the purpose of creation? What is the exact purpose? Mm -hmm. The purpose of creation is very simple. Is that there be a community in Ulam Habbo yeah. and that they earned their right to be in Ulam Habbo. That's the purpose of creation. That there be a community in Ulam Habbo that was earned by them and not given to them without any kind of uh, work or labor. Simple. I don't want it. It's going to lead me to a straight, you know? No, it's, it's a whole, you know, Oyama yeah. Bo is another sheer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll do a table oh, on. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I got a hazard to taste myself. But anyway, <laughs> no, they're all kidding aside. But anyway, without going into Oyama Bo, well, actually, I'll, I'll give you a, a glimpse of Oyama Bo. I wish I had a glimpse of it. <laughs> okay. I'll give you, a, you know, just a conceptually a glimpse. Well, being happy now is a glimpse of Oyama What you're saying happens to be very true. What you're saying happens to be very true. Very, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, so advancing the purpose means to get a community. In this case, that community will be Jews, basically and going on to the extent that they observe the Sheva Mitzvahs and so on but the community which is Jews in Eidim Ahabba uh, having learned it, okay but the question then is um, <coughs> what happens in Eidim Ahabba? and the truth of what happens in Eidim Ahabba really is what happens in Eidim Ahazed um, the purpose of man, what is the purpose of man's task? the answer is what's called Tikkun HaKloli 
I'm not going into how we do that. That I'm going to talk about next week, which is called the concept of the instrumental form. What instrument will accomplish the purpose? That's the whole concept of the Avodah. And I'll be talking about that next week. Yeah, I brought to uh, to Yom uh, to Yom uh, Kippur. But anyway, the concept of the Avodah, the essential instrumental form. But without going into that, the concept of Olam Haba is synonymous or identical with the concept of our the the the, uh, the effect of our task or the con- the outcome. And the outcome of our task is what's called Tikkun HaKloli. And that means the complete or general or uh, entire total rectification of creation. Now what does that mean? Very simply, I'll tell you what Tikkun HaKloli is. <clears throat> Tikkun HaKloli simply means this. God created a universe in which His presence is devoid. He is absent from the Bria. Okay? And the universe that will have the complete revelation of him is what's called the Tikkun In other words, the universe is created in a situation or a state of deficiency where the presence of God is absented, it's concealed. A universe which uh, uh, that presence is completely manifest is Ilam Habbo. Okay? Now, what, uh, that's, so therefore man's purpose is to bring in the presence of God back into the universe. Okay. Therefore, if the universe is in a state of deficiency, it is our purpose, of course, to masakin or correct that state of deficiency totally. So tikkun really means to correct the state of hester, concealment of God, into a state of giloi, revelation of God. That's really what it means. It's a very simple idea. Of course, what does it mean when we say that? What did God conceal? And the answer to that is two things. First of all, who he is. And second of all, his relationship with the universe, the creation. And of course, his relationship with the universe, of course, is that he is the source of all being. And we do not see that. But in Oilam Habo, which is really this world, we convert it back into Oilam Habo, we will see who God is. In other words, we will perceive our emanation. We will be cognizant of the nature of our own emanation, and in that cognizance, we will be Masik Yichud. That, that's all I'm going to say about that, you know. It's like, it's a whole... And so on. But basically, Tikkun HaKloli is the consequence or the outcome of our Avodah. Okay. Now, <clears throat> therefore, we have to go through certain tests. So what God does is He sets us up in certain ways. We have to go through certain tests. We are tempted to do our own will. We have to say, no, I will not do my own will. I will do God's will. And that's what mitzvahs are really all about. And by doing God will, God's will, what I'm really saying is that He is the only one that is. And I am an emanation from him. If I will not do my will, I will do his will because he's the only one that exists. That's the essential concept of every mitzvah. Okay? So it's called ABC uh, Chudo. But in any case, uh, what happens as a result of that is we have to go through many different um, uh, situations and be tested to declare that idea. And that, those discernments are part of an Hagasakiv, where the entire stage is set, and we now have to do acting. We act in this circumstance, that man is given riches, and he has to, he has to act. In that circumstance, some people are put in oh. other circumstances. Everybody's got his own Dalaramas. Dalaramas. Yeah, yeah. And so on, and that's, uh, yeah, and so on. <clears throat> uh, and no man can do what the other man has to do. No, and that's, by the way, one of the premiers of the why, you know, there's a mitzvah sasik vo, not to step over boundaries. So the question is, why not? Superficially, is because you know, don't muzzle in on his territory, oh. don't take away his panosa. The real reason is because 
he needs that situation to massacre his nyanam. So if you're going to go into it, you are going to do what? You are monea him. No, from his tikkun. It's, it's a whole, you know, that's really what it's all about. But of course, we look at superficial and say, well, don't take away his panosa. But, but the true concept of lesasik vul is, hey, because if you're masik vul, he cannot do his tikkun because you are taking away what he needs. And if he can't do his tikkun, you're in trouble too. Because the whole universe has to have a tikkun by every individual Jew working on different corners. Anyway, that's... Take away time from your own tikkun. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's, it goes both ways. Okay, that was just a throw-in. But anyway... Anyway, that's Anoga Sakim. So Anoga Sakim basically is, uh, is the setup of the stage and man has to interact with that stage. He has to do his act. He's got to follow the script. The script is Anoga Sakim. Okay, now, the next time Hoga is what's called Anoga Sakim. It's the consequence of man's actions because what happens if a man sins? So the Nebuchadnezzar gives him certain ideas as a result of his sinning, if man does a mitzvah. In other words, those actions which the Rabbani Shalom in, in, initiates as a result of the acts of man, his consequences of what he was tested with, that's called Anogas HaMishpat. So if a person has to go through uh, pain or Hatzlocho, some people have tremendous mazal. Not because of Anogas HaKim. Because Anogas HaKim means you will be rich even if you did nothing. That's your structure. Alavayev Migaret, right? But yeah, but but Anogas HaMishpat may make you rich in consequence to an act, either of you or former Gagulim or your parents or whatever. It's, it's an enormously complex. But you see the difference in that Anogo. It addresses man after the act, the act not before the act. The consequence of another act. Yeah, exactly. That's Okay. Or but, maybe a future act. No. Okay, yeah, it has, yeah, it has. Yeah, there are future consequences. There are. I, I don't go into that. That's like a, it's which is true. What you're saying is very true. In any case, uh, okay, that's Hanogas HaMishpat. Now, Hanogas Ha... Okay, but there's a big problem. There is an immense problem we have here. We'll have minyan. Because we have nine with my... Now, but there's a big problem. Why? Because if the Bria has to have a tikkun through the avoid of an individual, right, his free will, there's a tremendous problem. Because it is possible for what? For all men to sin, right? All men to sin and destroy the whole Bria. That there won't be a tikkun, there will be a kilkul, a tremendous damage in creation, right? So what will come out? That the will of God is not fulfilled. So what the reversion does, he institutes a third on Hogob which is the most profound of all. That's called Anogas HaYichud. Anogas HaYichud is what's called a backup system or a bailout system, where it forces a person to massacre the Bria. I don't want to go into all the different, you know, ins and outs of how it works and so on, because... What is the Russia to massacre the Bria? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's a very complex... But it's what's called a backup system, and it is the greatest Anhog of all. Not only that, but it is, it is Anhog which is so profound that we do not know when it is operating or not. And I'll just tell you one idea. The basic mechanism for this Hanhogah is Yisurin, is, 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 is pain, suffering, yeah. Because there are three ways to massacre the Bria. Either you do mitzvahs, right? But what happens if you don't do that? You do tshuva, 
which is a is, is a undoing of right. And if you don't do tshuva, you get yisurin or suffering. Those three ways God initiated so that if Jews fail in one, they have the next, and if they fail in the next, then they have the third system. And the third system is Anongus Yichud. That's the idea of Golos. That's the whole concept of the last two thousand years of our history. Is Anongus Yichud? Wait. Okay. Now. That's basically Anogos Yichud, which is a backup system which employs Yisurin to bring a Tikkun that the Jews can sack in the Bria. And that's the, so therefore they go through persecutions or exiles or whatever, but that never is the way they have to do it because they're not doing sufficient mitzvahs or whatever. They're doing too many avarists. Okay? Now Anogos Yichud is incredibly profound. I'll tell you why. Because Anogos Yichud must work. I'll tell you why. The one who stops Anhogas Yichud from working is the Sultan. He doesn't want this. He's got a bunch of Chatoim that he says Jews committed, so he says destroy them. God says no, I want them to massacre the Bria, right? And which means that God has to over, overreach Din. Because Anhogas Yichud is incredible chesed. Because who says that Jews have to massacre the Bria, you know? But Anhogas Yichud reaches into the incredible, what's called the Rimus. The incredible uh, um, majesty of God that he can overreach Din and do what he wants. But the problem is that you have the Sultan who doesn't want that to go on. He would much rather that Bria should not reach its Tikkun. Okay? So he wants Anagas Amishpat, right? It is Burjma has to do Anagas Yichud to the back the Jews. So the question is that how is God going to uh, get away from the Sultan? And the answer is something which is probably an idea which is so profound that it just de- defies comprehension. God uses the Sultan himself to bring the Gula. <laughs> In other words, because then the Sultan himself is bringing redemption. So he's not going to... Comp- he, that's how unaware of what God is doing. And the mm-hmm. truth is that the gematria of Hanhogas HaYichud, the numerical value, is gematria biyat sitra <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh, where'd that come from? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Ruben, or well, Ruben's not here tonight, but uh, uh, yeah, he's my gematria man. No, he means Ruben. Yeah, most is The numerical value of anhogas yichud, or those set of actions which are the backup system, is numerically equivalent to the words in the ha- through the hands of the sitrachra. So therefore, this is accomplished through the hands of the sitrachra. Anyway. Giving his own death. Who? Yeah. Wow. The Sultan is going to be responsible for his own death. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Because I once heard if you take out the Mem out of the name Samuel. Samuel. Yeah. It's one of God's names. Is that true? Shame. It's yeah. Kale. Yeah. Kale. Some Kale. Poison of God. So the Mem will come out. Uh-huh. Yeah. It does. Yeah. It does come out. But anyway. Uh, okay. Anyway, that's. Anyway, that's an understanding of Anhongas Yichud. Once we understand these three ideas, we now can go into Rosh Hashanah. Homan was responsible for the Jews, the Jews doing tshuva, and then receiving, and then being makabel ter shebialpeh be'ahavo, because that was really the whole purpose of Purim. <laughs> and the one who brought that about was nothing more than a Homan Amaleki. An Amaleki, an Amalekite, was responsible that the Jews accepted part of their Torah with love which they did not accept originally they accepted it with fear okay 
Homan is the last guy in the world that would say I'm the one who's doing it. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's just an example. That's what, but there are many the examples. Holocaust destroyed in the process. The yeah, of course he gets destroyed in the process. The Holocaust, Holocaust is another example. What, what about, you know, he got elevated in the process because he became B'nai Bonavor in the base of English. Yeah, I know. So well, actually... Could, he because was, he had a tiny... So I helped them uh, do tshuva. So the, tru the truth is, you know, there's a Gemona Vodizara that says in the, in, the, in, the, in the end of time when the Mashiach will come and so on, the Goyim will, tiny, will say, we also we deserve... all the Jews. Yeah. No, no, but that's, well, you know what they're really saying? You know, so God will say, what do you mean you helped the Jews? You did it for your own purpose. Yeah. So the question is, but, but God is, okay, I'll give you a mitzvah sukkah. Then he tests them out. Yeah, but the question is, why is giving a mitzvah sukkah? Because the truth is that, in terms of justice, they have no taina. They did it for themselves. I, God, used their evil intent and he made it come out for the good of the Jews. That was because he intervened. But the truth is that since a Yeshua, a Geula, came through from, the, from, from them, yeah. even though, so Mitzara Chesed, or, you know, just to get away from that well, kind of... No, no, that, that's... So God <coughs> said, okay, since you were the instrument, even though it was against your will, I will give you a chance. It was in terms of justice, you don't have a leg to stand on. But since you were the instrument, it, 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 it has enough... Uh, it has enough plea in it to say, give us a chesed too. It's incredible. So God says, okay, I'll do that for you, and I'll give you sukkahs. Of course, they... Sickness of the seven days. Yeah, hard. but I'm saying where yeah. their taina comes from, right. their instrumentality, even though they... Anyway, okay, once you understand that, we now can understand very nicely Rosh Hashanah. <laughs> Okay, the truth is, Rosh Hashanah, the essence of Rosh Hashanah, is not judgment of man. Let me ask you something. If you initiate a whole sequence of events, right? Which is what? That the Revolution wants Tikkun HaKloli, right? He wants Jews to massacre the Bria, right? What does the Revolution do? It, what is needed an evaluation of how much Tikkun has been accomplished. Why? Because let's assume that given this year, the Jews are set up in a certain way. Remember Anagas Zakim That they pushed in these countries, in this situation? Because God says, so much of the universe needs Tikkun. In order to do that, I now have to send Jews to Spain. Okay? Now, after a time, God has said, okay, they were in Spain for a certain amount of years, or, or rather, a certain time. Let me reevaluate how much Tikkun has been achieved. You need a reevaluation because let's assume that after a certain amount of time the Jews are not being massacred the, the Bria in that situation, then God obviously will have to move them to another situation. You see? So obviously, the Rabbanishlam needs a periodic evaluation for the, for the assessment of creation in terms of how much Tikkun or Kilkel has been achieved. In other words, the Tikkun state of creation must be evaluated. So you must have a periodic evaluation. You see? In other words, once we can look at the universe from the Anhogas, which is the global view of what goes on, then obviously <coughs> there must be a periodic assessment in terms of how much Tikkun has been achieved by the Jews at that given time. And the answer is that that's exactly what happens. It happens every uh, in in a periodic. Uh, Shinui. That's change takes place in the Shana. 
Okay, that's an interesting idea because that exactly takes place. But what I'm saying is that Rosh Hashanah, the, 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 the evaluation is not on man's behavior, Be'ika, primarily. It's on the whole Bria. What is the Tikkun state? Okay, now, that is exactly what Rabban Shem does on Rosh Hashanah. Now, <clears throat> why does he do it on Rosh Hashanah? Why? Why is the beginning of Tishrei the time? And the answer is because it is most appropriate. Because the world was created, and that's where we really ask him, it was created in the 25th day of Elul. That's when it was created. Man was created on the 6th day, which is the first day of Rosh Hashanah. Man was created on the first day of Rosh Hashanah. So therefore, when did creation begin? When was the inauguration of the Tikkun of the Bria? With man's creation. Because before that, there was nothing going on. It was Milan Agas Hakim. There is no man there to begin the process of Tikkun. Exactly, which is the whole purpose of the Bria. So therefore, if the whole process, the original plan was inaugurated on that day, so let's review it on that day. Yeah, but of course, you review it on the day that the process of Tikkun began. So therefore, the first day of Rosh Hashanah, which is really the first day that man was created, is really the beginning of that periodic assessment, which must happen. Not because God... Now, what's important to remember that the reason why the Rebbe uh, assesses it is not so much... He knows where the Tikkun obviously is and so on, but what he has to do is he has to shift the whole world scene in order to bring about a tikkun if less tikkun was done that year. So if the Jews did a lot of kilkul that year, so God says, okay, the fact that they're in peace is not enough now. I've got to now send them to a worse exile. So that's when the Zadin is that they must now... So in order to do that, then God says, okay, now I have to make this nation great so that the Jews can go in that nation. And the so the whole, lit, the whole, the whole Bria is affected because the Jews are now navigating, not this way, but in order to reach the destination, they now have to navigate this way. But that's each individual Jew as well. Ev- it's also moving today. But you're talking wait. collectively now. No, collectively, wait, 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 collectively. The mid-co- essence... Mid-course correction. Yeah, mid-course correction, exactly. <laughs> and that's exactly what happens, you know. The, the navigator, the, what he called now, is always taking mid-course corrections <laughs> to see if he's online. Same thing with the Bershom. But not Mitzad, his Yediyah. He knows what will be. Mitzad, that the fact that the ship has to move. So therefore, that is the essence of Rosh Hashanah. The essence of Rosh Hashanah is that it's a mid-course, you know, correction uh, in terms of where, how much Tikkun and Kilka has been achieved. Therefore, I've got to now uh, correct the movement of the ship called the Jews through the entire world. And the whole world is judged in terms of that Anhoga. So God decides that Anhoga is a mishpat. What are the consequences of the Jews? And he has to activate because that is the backup system all over the world. Okay? That is really what happens on 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 Rosh Hashanah. Today is the third day of creation. Yeah, in that sense, yes. Exactly. The Bracha Roka Haoretz Alamoyim, the waters turned upside down on that day. So one of the Kabonas in Bracha, when you say that Bracha, turn yourself over. Let's not. Okay. Don't divert. Okay. <laughs> a, a little bit, you know, you know. Okay. Uh, 
Yeah. You have to be always avoid those kind of chetlach. <laughs> first of all, many of them times they, they don't give you anything other than the incredible fragment that they really are. But you know, it's not even a highlight because you know what are the real ramifications of that? You know, but uh, yeah, in terms of analyzing from a system, we have to curb the tendency to inject a little vault, you know. It's that or that. What you're talking about collectively is the Jews and the world as a whole. The whole creation. Okay. In certain times of the advent, the tikkun are calling, okay. but the only ones who are doing the tikkun are the Jews. What? You're there for the whole. Wait, 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 okay. wait. Okay. Obviously, once the Bershom is assessing everything, then he obviously has to assess the contribution that each Jew made toward the tikkun state. Obviously, because that's going to determine to some extent, right, what you will now do in the future toward the new readjustment. Therefore, not only is the creation judged, but it's the primary purpose. Because remember, everything that is done by the Rosh Hashanah is only to advance the purpose. Rosh Hashanah is to advance the purpose, so we need a readjustment, reassessment, right? Now, the reassessment is for purposes of readjustment. Right? But in order to readjust, we now have to analyze every Jew's contribution toward that Tikkun state. How much did you contribute toward the Tikkun? How many mitzvahs did you do? How many did you contribute toward the Kilkul? Damage? How many Averis did you do? Right? Obviously. So therefore, man, it's almost peripherally, is included in that judgment. The essence of Rosh Hashanah is the judgment or the, re is the evaluation of the Tikkun process. Man has to be judged also because it makes a difference now where are you now going to fit. So some people have to become poor that year, some people have to become rich, some healthy, and so on. I mean, there's so many different variations that Jews go through in one time. Some men die that year, some people are born. It's an enormous calculation. Then God has to decide, Gilgul, okay, now I'm, you're going to pop up this year because right now, Based on what you were mechanical in the previous reincarnation, now is your chance for the setup, and, and so on. It's it's an in, it's an infinite complexity. It's like it takes you know a computer, the size of the bria, to figure out all the variables and all the factors and all the constituents. It's enormous, you know, and the reversion does it in a split second. In any case, that that's okay. So therefore, that is really what the essence of human dinner is. So therefore, as it is. Since we are nichlal, we are included in that whole reassessment and readjustment, we are judged too. Now, that gives us, by the way, a very different understanding of Yom Kippur. The reason why we did tshuva, the, we, we can now be understand a very interesting idea. There is an incredible difference between the tshuva in the Aseris Me Tshuva and tshuva you do all year. Based on this idea. That is why it's so important to do tshuva now. What's the difference? Because if you do tshuva during the year, you are affecting your personal direction. But if you do tshuva in the Aseris Me Tshuva, you are what? You are affecting the, the readjustment of the whole Bria. Because tshuva is one of the processes, right, that affects the direction of Tikkun. So it could be that since Jews did tshuva, they don't have to go through this country. Instead, they can go somewhere else. So it comes out that the tshuva that is done in these 10 days affects the entire universal plan of Anagasa Yichud, whereas tshuva during the year affects basically your immediate 
direction. Look at the difference in it in what your tshuva does. Because the Roshim allows your tshuva to affect not only your circumstances, but the whole Hanogas HaYichud is affected by your tshuva. Because that is really what's up for evaluation. Tremendous difference in the tshuva of Yom Kippur and the tshuva of during the entire year. Okay, now, <clears throat> that's the essence of what happens in Rosh Hashanah. It's a re-evaluation in order to, uh, to accomplish a readjustment of the whole Tikkun HaKloli, the Tikkun status state, and the whole Hanogas HaYichud, which sends Jews as a backup system, if they didn't do tshuva and mitzvahs, out into different directions, and that's re-evaluated from year to year. Okay, now, <clears throat> Therefore, we are also judged peripherally in that sense, as part of that. So that answers the question, why is the whole world judged? Right? Now we know why the whole world judged. The whole world is judged is because the essence of Rosh Hashanah is what? Is a readjustment toward the Tikkun. So obviously the whole world is Nikhlau. If it was just for a judge, judgment of man, of course we would. In the, why would anything else have to be judged? See, now you understand it beautifully. Of course it makes sense. Not because we are primary, therefore everybody get judged also. We gotta schlep everybody else into a court trial because the reason obviously is because the, the, the judgment of Rosh Hashanah is very different than what we thought before. Okay. That is why also... <clears throat> now, so therefore the Roshim says, look, in order for you to emerge in the best possible manner, so therefore in order to give you a good year, in other words, where the backup system will not have to subject you to so much sooner or whatever, I'm going to give you a chance to change the verdict of the whole Tikkun process. And that's what the Aserasi Mechuvah is. To change the, the verdict of the Tikkun process, not merely your own direction. <laughs> but the Roshim says, look, I will give you a three-part process. Malchus, Zechreinus, and Shefus. And now we begin to understand the seed of what these things are. Malchius, what is Malchius? The Roshim says, look, you, Malchius, king of sovereignty, recite verses of sovereignty. Why? Because what's the whole essence of the Avoida is to recite sovereignty. You are the king. So God says, look, do that now. Because that's the essence of the Avoida. Say, I am king. And that's tshuva. So, in other words, when, we go, when, when, when Jews go to court, so the, so the judge is saying to them, in front of the judge at the same time is, is the defense attorney. It's amazing that the God is the Melitiesha and the judge at the same time. But that's because the Anogas Yichud concept of God makes him a Melitiesha in the middle of Din. It's a very bizarre kind of merger of two different roles. But the truth is, God is our best defense attorney at the same time as being our judge. Hanhogas HaYichud means that God assumes the role of defense. That's what it means, which is unusual. Hanhogas HaMishud means God assumes the role of judge. Hanhogas HaYichud means God assumes the role of, of, of defense attorney also. It's really remarkable. Now, so the Bershom says, Mamlechmi, the essence of Rosh Hashanah, is the same as the essence of the sixth day of creation, which is to proclaim my kingship. Mamlechmi now, and that will be tshuva. But what happens, did you say, okay, but what happens if we don't have, we don't do tshuva enough? Or we don't have the kavana, or, you know, we're just not into it, you know, right? So the Rosh says, okay, 
You're not doing tshuva now, so recall, or ask me to recall the former schusim. So maybe that gets you through din, right? Because I'm, I'm not doing tshuva now, so remember the good times when I, when I did do tshuva. <laughs> remember Avram Yitzchak and Yaakov, what they did for you, and based on the schusim of the office and so on. Remember that. Maybe that'll get me through, through judgment. Okay, so that's zichroinus. Where we are mask here, the former schusim. Because that's the next, you know, it's like a defense, attorney, uh, it's like a, uh, a guy defending. He's got a whole bunch of strategies, contingencies. This doesn't work, next contingency. That doesn't work, next contingency. Okay, what happens if Zechoinus doesn't work? It means we, we don't have enough because we're not being Mamlech to Rabbi Hashem. We don't have Kavon or whatever it is, right? How many shoes never don't go to Rosh Hashanah, go to Shuli from Rosh Hashanah, and so on. Or our Zechoinus are not enough. So the Russian has included one of the most incredible concepts of all time. It's, it's mind-boggling. And that is the essence of Shefer, the mystery of Shefer. What is the mystery of Shefer? It is a concept which is so profound, so iluish, if you may, if you can use the word, you know, if you can call God a genius, of course, it's an incredible <laughs> presumption to use that word. But it, it, it's, it's mind-boggling in terms of the chap. You say, what? What's the chap? Okay. The Rebbe doesn't want... Who is our adversary? Who is the one who wants to stop God from using Dan Hogas Yichud or to become a defense? The Sutton. So what the Rebbe wants to do is not say to the Sutton, look, now the God will not quiet the Sutton. He never does that because he doesn't want to compromise the job of the Sutton because that's his job. What the Rebbe has to make, do is make a fool out of the Sutton to use him to bring the Gula. He always works that way, but he will not say to the Sutton, stop. He can only say to the Sutton if it's Ayyadeh Mishpat. No, they don't deserve this. If it was Ayyadeh Mishpat, you do not deserve to prosecute. Then Sutton say, hey, you know, he's talking to me on my own terms, right? So then I walk away. The Rebbe has designed a mitzvah which talks to the Sutton that way. What is that mitzvah? Shefa. I'll give you an example. Normally, a person fights a judgment against them by saying either I didn't do it or if I did do it, right? I do tshuva on it, or if I not tshuva, then remember what I did. That's malchis and and zikronis. <laughs> There are certain mitzvahs, however, where if you do the mitzvah, justice demands that you do not be judged. You get a load of that? Justice demands that you not be judged. In other words, I win not because. You know, I've got defenses because remember what I did or I'm doing tshuva. No. It, it's where, where the judgment itself demands the abatement of justice. What kind of, what kind of a mitzvah is that? I'll give an example. The Gemara says in Rosh Hashanah, it says that somebody who puts aside or overlooks his character and he forgives others. You know, he forgives others. If you did me an avla, you did me, you did me a... Uh, you know, you insult me or whatever, I will overlook that. I will not stand on my pride. I will overlook that. <clears throat> I will be mave amamidis. Means I will look aside, I will put aside my character traits and I will say, I forgive you. Then justice demands mida connected mida. You overlooked your character even though you could have said, hey, you insulted me, you deserve a smack. But you overlooked that, so justice demands that we overlook your sins. You see? In other words, that kind of a mitzvah is unusual because it interferes with the whole judgment. It's not a mitzvah where it's, look, I have a merit, 
therefore I should win. No, that kind of mitzvah has the peculiar nature of abating the whole judgment process. Because it says, look, I overlooked, I was a vatran, you be a vatran too. And that's true, midah kenegi midah. God behaves to you exactly the way you behave. So therefore we see that there's a category of mitzvahs, right? Where if you do something, it's not merely a defense, a schus, a merit. It is of the nature where the process of judgment must stop. Okay? What is shoifa? Shoifa is the same kind of a mitzvah. Shoifa is not a schus. Shoifa, if we blow shoifa, what it does is the satan says, as soon as he hears it, he must back away from judgment. Why? Okay. Shoifa, the essence of shoifa is crying. So what the Rebbeinu did is a murdig He says, I will give you a mitzvah where the mitzvah itself demands that I activate on August Yichud. Normally, we don't. Normally, a Jew says, "Look, forgive me, because uh, forgive me because I'm, I'm I'm declaring you king, or remember what I did." But what happens if Jews say, "Look, there is no way out for us, but don't judge us in the in the in the balance of judgment." Activate on August Yichud, and even if it means giving us Yisurin, then do it. Because on August Yichud, we'll do it in a totally different way than just the severity of Din. It comes out, therefore, that what happens if the Jews say, we want on August Yichud? We, we give it. So therefore, justice says, well, since you asked for it, I'll give it to you. So it's, you know, you know but it has to, obviously has to have schusim. Okay, wait. So shoifa, which is crying, is the way Jews say that even if you have to save us by ourselves crying, that's the shoifa. It is the tears of Christ's world. Then give us an August Yichud. We are asking you to, to put us through the August Yichud, which means crying. That's the mystery of shoifa. Shoifa is a request of Christ's world. That God activate on August Yichud and therefore save us from the severity of Din, which is really to destroy Klai Yisrael. That is why the, the whole concept of Shefa is tears, is crying, because the essence of Shefa is really a request for an August Yichud. Therefore, judgment demands. So God says, Look, they are asking me on August Yichud. But it's not a chesed in the sense, that we're not saying save us and give us Ulam Haba for nothing. We're saying, look, we'll work, we'll sweat, we'll cry, but give it through us the way you proceed to an August Yichud. So, therefore, Shoifa, based on that idea, God turns to the Sultan and says, look, you must stop your prosecution, because I will not deal with them through Mishpat, a severe judgment, whatever it is. I will deal with them through Yichud, which is a whole different way where they will be able to make restitution in many different ways, of her. So the Sutton goes crazy. He's mighty confused. Look at the dilemma. You know, confounding means a dilemma. You know what dilemma is? If I do one thing, I'm destroyed. And if I do the other thing, I'm destroyed. And there's only one of two ways I can do it. <laughs> the dilemma of the Sutton is the following. If I prosecute them, I must bring up Shoifa. Because judgment says you must bring up what they did good. But, if shoy, if they, but, but then if I bring up Shoifa, then Shoifa demands that I desist from judgment. So what should I do? LMI, I will desist from judgment, so they'll walk away. Imagine a prosecutor that cannot prosecute either way. 
either he, if he prosecutes, he must be forced to stop prosecuting because just, justice demands that he stop prosecuting, that they be dealt with to Anogasa Yichud, not to Anogasa Mishpat. And if he stops prosecuting, then he stops prosecuting. Either way, you know, it's like he's dead, you know, that, you know. Either way, either way, his hands are tied. If he prosecutes, the Jews walk away, right, to Anogasa Yichud, which means that God will deal with it, not the Sutton. And if he doesn't prosecute, then he doesn't prosecute the Jews walk away anyway. Could you imagine the enormous confusion in this guy's mind? Can you imagine a prosecutor that either way can't prosecute? Because the very mitzvah itself demands the abatement of justice. So either way, he can't prosecute. So therefore, Shoifa is Korasotan. <laughs> right? Wait, it rips him apart because it rips his ability to do it. Because the version through the incredible, you know, foresight and insight and whatever, made Shoifa not a schus, but Shoifa is those kind of mitzvahs where itself demands that justice be suspended. Because we are requesting Nanogas Yichud. That's why it rips the Sutton apart. That's why it is based on crying, the whole Indian of, of, of Bechir. And that's why the Sutton is incredibly confounded. He doesn't know what to do, so he must assist. We individually must recognize that we deserve the punishment too, you say. What's that? When you hear Shadrach being blown, we should recognize we really deserve the punishment. Really well, that's the, the, that's the Kavana. Right. The Kavana, it should be the Kavana, but we... Many Jews don't have the kavanah. They just sit and they don't know what shefa is. But in the mind of the Jew, let shefa do what it's supposed to do, right? Which is enough. The Rosh says, "Look, they are saying to me, you do with whatever you have to do with shefa." And that enough is a request for people who don't know. Okay, I will activate on the even if you don't know. But the mere munah says we're doing it. The key mitzvah of shofar itself is really saying we will blow shofar and let it mean because nobody knows what it means. We all know that God is doing something with it. So we, what we really deep down really saying let God do what He wants to do with it. That gives the Roshim connected to Satan and says, Karas Satan, I now you must stop because we are now moving from Anagas Hamishpat. To another sayyichod, right? And therefore you must stop. That is why shifa is such an incredible mitzvah. Okay, now. This instrument is superseding the concept of din. Yeah, it's the instrument itself which so demands. Are you, are you describing mercy or it's. it's well, it, Rahmanus is a suspension of din, but what it does is it, it shifts the anhoga. And now, well, now we can be. Once we understand this, uh, in terms of what shape is, we now can go back to all the questions and see how it really answers all the questions. And the, the your own neshama, or if you cry yourself and everything else included, I mean, your own neshama. Well, that's well, that's part of the schusim of tamlichu. You can get away with it, you know. What I mean, but the truth is, nobody like does tshuva sufficiently. Well, nobody does tshuva. Most people sufficiently, where you don't need an oxygen. That all our neshama is wrapped up in that shape. Yeah, yeah. The shofar is among the greatest mysteries of all. It's almost like the paraduma. If you think about it, the shofar is almost as unintelligible as the paraduma. The only problem, the paraduma is worse because it's a contradiction in terms. Because how can the matah, matah, whatever getting there. But the shofar is like an absolute mystery of why blowing a horn does anything. And what I'm saying is that the shofar is really a request that you put us into the anhoga of yichud and not mishpat. 
And the infinite punishment says, okay, since you asked for it, that itself will allow me to say to the Sultan, stop. Because they have asked me to, that they should bring a tikkun to the Bria, not through you know, punishment or deal with them very severely, but through <coughs> my ways. But now, it's not being done on Shabbos. It, no, it doesn't have to be done on Shabbos. Zichron Trua. Zichron Trua. It's still being done. I know that. But the fact that we will say Sukhuman Shifras, won't we? Exactly. That's it. You know, we do it. The Zikhrin Trua, that's why it says twice. Yoim Trua, blowing, and Zikhrin Trua. In fact, that's how Chazal know that that's the support that they are allowed to suspend the blowing of Shofar on Shabbos. The remez is because the Torah says zikron trua, remembrance of trua, means that actually is a day of Rosh Hashanah that doesn't have trua, which is when it falls out on the Shabbos. But it doesn't make a difference. Okay, now let's go back and go through the questions, <coughs> and we now see how they're really all answered, really that quite answer simply. Question, by the way, because a person's crying and they cannot blow the show for Shabbos. What? Let's go through the questions, okay? <coughs> and you see that they all make perfect sense. <coughs> It's amazing what's so mysterious before now just, you know, of course, what else could it be? What is the essence of Rosh Hashanah? The essence of Rosh Hashanah, remember, is the judgment, is the reevaluation of the whole Bria. That's the essence. Man is judged in that because he obviously, since Bria has to have a Tikkun in terms of Jews, then man is judged in that also in terms of where he will go, what country, and what, you know, what, what the job. state, what job, everything is Nikhlal. That's the essence of Rosh Hashanah. Now, why is everything judged? Of course, because once it's a, a, it's a re-evaluation of the whole Tikkun, everything has to be judged, because everything is called in to the idea of Tikkun, how it contributes toward the advancement of the purpose. What else could it be? Why is the Yom Din done on the first of the year? Again, simple, because that's when the plan was inaugurated, initiated. Odom Rishon, the first day of Tisha was Odom was created, now, and was created, that was the beginning of Tikkun, the beginning of the possibility that the Bria could have a Tikkun. So on that day, we reassess, okay, how much Tikkun happened on the day of its anniversary. Three words, it's an anniversary date. That's when it started, that's when it's reassessed. Okay, why does the Torah call it Yom Tru and we call it Rosh Hashanah? Because to the Rabbani Shalom, the essence of Rosh Hashanah is what? Is what? Is a reassessment and a readjustment of the whole Bria. Therefore, to God, the essence of Rosh Hashanah is Shefer, which is the Anhogas Yichud. To us, it's the beginning of, in other words, to us, what do we, what do, we do with Rosh Hashanah? We try to do tshuva and begin, <coughs> a, uh, begin the year in a new way. So to us, it's Rosh Hashanah, the beginning of the year, the, the inception of a new plan, as you point out, Shinoi. So to us it's Rosh Hashanah. In other words, to us it's Rosh Hashanah, the beginning of a year, the beginning of a new Avodah. But Mitzar him, he's not concerned with our Avodah. He's concerned with another Sayyichud. How is he going to readjust? So to him it's a Yom Trua, a day of crying, a day of readjustment of the another Sayyichud. To us it's a day of Avodah. So we call it Rosh Hashanah, he calls it a Yom Trua. Because it's two different perspectives of how Rosh Hashanah is dealt with. How can the day of crying for Hashem? No, it's a, no, no, not crying. It's a day of crying for us. It's a day where the readjustment has to incorporate Yisurin, which is Anogos Yichud, because that's that's one of the most fundamental Anogos. Why is it a Yantif, right? And what was the Malachim's Havamina of calling a Yantif? Why? 
Because we must emerge from the din. Yes. Because of anogasi yichod. Before the question was, remember, remember I said, well, what happens if a guy doesn't emerge and he gets punished and so on? So why would it be a yontif to him? Well, the truth is, it is a... He's emerging too. Exactly. The truth is, the reason why it's a simcha because we cannot lose. It's a fixed judgment. Even if he's Why is it fixed? Why he loses. Well, no. Why, why is this judgment fixed? Why is this judgment... The reason why it's a simcha, because it's a fixed judgment. We must come out of it. it now I ask you, if you go into a court and you know you're going to win, you know, oh of course you feel good, it's a simcha, right? And then come and Malachim say to you, Malachim say, let's say halal. Let's praise God. Why do we want to say halal and praise God? Why is it a fixed judgment? You know why? Because the, prosecu- because the judge is our defender. I ask you, if the judge is our defender, you know, what better? Right? You're a lawyer, right? What if the judge is your defender? Do you go, what, how do you... happens, you feel very good. So obviously it's a yontif. That's why it's a yontif. Exactly. Because we must emerge. We must emerge what? Not that we emerge without Yisurin. But we must emerge, we must get Ulim Habo. We must be in Ulim Habo. And that's really the outcome, which is the essence. Of course, it's not that we emerge without Yisurin. Because we ask God to invoke Hanogas Yichud, which is Yisurin. But we must emerge in Ulim Habo, sitting there in Ulim Habo. That is why Jamudik Simcha. Because of the Hanogas Yichud. Because the, the judge has become our defense attorney. And when that happens, it's a murdic simcha. Yep. Okay? That's, so that answers that. <clears throat> yeah. Now, why is the malchus zechunis and shifas? Because again, because God says, look, we do tshuva, proclaim me as melach, because that's the whole essence. You don't, you're not, that's not enough, then bizoicha. Remember, me mask the former of us, or your former deeds. If that doesn't work, then blow Shafer, which is the activation of Anogas Yichud. That is the Seder of our strategy. That is our judicial strategy of how we emerge. That's why we have perfectly those three ideas. What is the rationale for Shafer? Okay. Now, the rationale for Shafer, again, is that it is included in those mitzvahs where judgment or the performance of that mitzvah demands abatement of justice. Which is an incredible idea. It's not merely a schus that we have, but it demands the suspension of the prosecutory job. That's why it's such an incredible mitzvah. Now, why was the shofar sounded by Matan Torah and Bimoyser Mashiach? Because when God gave the Torah, what was He saying to the Jews? He was saying, look, you are going to massacre creation one of two ways. Either Torah and Tshuva or Hanogas Yichud. So the Matan Torah represents Torah and Tshuva. And the Shufa that was sounded at the same time. What was Matan Torah? It was the giving of the instrument for the Tikkunah Kloli. Well, if the instruments are given, so all the instruments must be given, right? Mitzvahs, Tshuva, which is Matan Torah, and Hanogas Yichud, which is Shifa. That's why Shifa was blown at Matan Torah. Because the Roshim said, look, here are all the instruments for the Tikkun HaKoli. And it will be, bo- be blown, La Osid Lavoi, by Yemosa Mashiach, 
because that is how the Mashiach comes to you, because in effect that is the only way we are bringing him we are not bringing him because we are Zakai we are bringing him because the Rosh must activate like God says in Tanakh for my sake will I bring it which means not because of your mitzvahs because because of my sake that I will look away from Mishpat and I will bring in the system of making you Masakim that's what Lamani Lamani I said and Shimon Esri he said all the time or maybe Goel right why Laman Shimoi be only because of his name does he bring a redeemer because he loves it so therefore he activates Anogas Hayichud not because of our Anogas Mishpat it's there all the time and so on though that that's the so therefore uh, that's why B, B, by B.S. Mashiach, Shifa sounded because that was the real instrument for the Yemesa Mashiach. And why does it confound the Sutton? Not because he gets frightened by trumpet sounds, yeah. right? Because it confuses him because it destroys his job. Either way, if he doesn't prosecute, Jews walk out of the court smiling. And if he does prosecute, Jews walk out smiling. Either way, it is an incredible confusion for a person that was designated to be Makatrik to prosecute the Jews. That is an intellectual understanding of why. You know? And that's why it says Kara Satan. That's why Shifa rips the Satan apart. Heads you win, tails I lose. <laughs> exactly, you know? Heads you win, tails I lose. Yeah. <laughs> and the only way he could win in that situation is if he could somehow convince the Jews not to blow the show. Yeah, that's the only way. And the Gemara says, the Gemara says, in a year that they don't blow shofar, that year will be a terrible year for Jews. Really? Yeah. That they will cry that year. That if Jews don't blow shofar that year, they will cry that year. Okay, so what's the Gemara saying? The Gemara says that. What's the Gemara saying? They don't, blow, they don't blow a trumpet, you know, a blast of a horn. Why? Because we have not activated. So what can he do? He can't stop the Makatre. Because with what? Even God has to go through Mishpat. So he does it by making Shefa the Mishpat. But in a year that we don't blow Shefa, what happens? Sure. He cannot stop Makati with what? He can't stop and say, hey, get lost. That's his job. So yeah. then what happens? So therefore that year they cry, which means that unfortunately, a great deal of Anagasa Mishpat has to be done. So the crying is Anagasa Mishpat. When is, so when will that and that's what the Gemara means. You see, Mamish, that's why. That? And then it doesn't make sense. Why do we cry? Because Shefa, but again, once you understand this, you understand why that happens. Because we, we have not silenced the country. How can that happen? Sure. For whatever reason, for whatever reason. Yeah, yeah. Gemara says, but it's a Gemara. Gemara says that. They don't blow Shefa. They're going to. Shana, I don't know if it's Gemara or it's a Medrash. Shana, that they don't blow that Shana, they will cry. Then that but year will be too. In your family, we'll make a mistake in the calendar. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah, Whatever. No, but in your crystal ball, is it going to happen? My crystal ball? I don't have a crystal ball. <laughs> anyway, <clears throat> well, I still have to get. That's why it says all the be truer, because God is revealed through Anhogas Hayichud. Truer represents Anhogas Hayichud crying. He's revealed through the Yisurin. That's why we say Lam that God. If we cannot reveal God through our Malchus and our Zechroinus, He will be revealed through the Truah, through our Angus Yichud. And that's the Enochanami, that's how the Tikkun is achieved. 
And why is it a choyf to Yisrael and a mishpat? Now we understand. Not because we don't know shofar. Even after we know shofar. Because we do not know how obviously Yichud works. It is so omok. You see? You see that? So it's taka to us. David said Mishpat, he knows, but even if we knew the reason for Shefa, which is to activate Anagas the Yichud Mitzad Din, we still, it's a Chuyk, because we now know how Soga of how God does it. The, 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 you should know, when it says in Tehillim, Ma'om Kumach Shiva Secha, you know what it refers to? The Anagas the Yichud. That's what's called the Anagas Nisteris. The Ramchal calls it the Anagas Amuka. Because God has to pull off a Tikkun without Makatrid Norbaling it. Not only that, where the Satan himself becomes the instrument for Tikkun. That requires such enormous profundity and concealment. It's, it's completely hidden. That's why it's ultimately it's still a choyk to Yidin. Also, now we understand why Shaif is based on crime. Now the last thing is why is the Akedah, right? Why the Akedah? Okay. Yeah. What was the Akedah? The Akedah, what was the bizarreness of the Akedah? Do you know what the Nisoyen of the Akedah was? There were a lot of Nisoyenists. But the essence of the Nisoyen of the Akedah was one. You know what it was? It was an Avodah. God was saying, I want you to serve me. Be Oyved by sacrificing his son. That's the Avodah. That Avram had. Because his Nisoyen means it's an Avodah. Why was that Avodah the greatest of all? You know why? Because it was a complete... It was a completely illogical, irrational, and contradictory avoider. Because God said, that you will maintain or you will give rise to a whole generation of people who will be massacred the Bria. So God says, forget Tikkun, kill him. And it was, so Avram Avinu, you know, shook his head and said, wait, 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 wait a minute, wait, wait, wait. You know, we're all logical people here. You know, this avoider, it's not that it's mysterious, it's crazy. It's complete irrational. So what Avram Avinu did a Murdigzah, he said, I will be Oyved God because I am Maimon. That when God gives me an irrational avoider, lo die that it is not irrational, that it is not contradictory, but it is part and parcel of the avoider. So he did it. What that is that he gave a Murdigzchus to Christ is that God will act now. What was the Avodah of the Akedah? The truth was the Anagas HaYichod. For whatever reasons. But what the Bershom did is by Avram withstanding the Soyan of being, uh, being involved in an irrational Avodah, the Schus was given to Klai that God would give them an irrational Avodah. Okay? And they would have the Schus where he would give them Anagas HaYichod in a profound way. Irrationally. Yeah, irrationally. It was since you were miming in me, that's Chus, and it was for the good of Avram, because we're still collecting credits for the Akedah. Therefore, I will give the Chus of the Eden also to have an irrational avoider. And the reason why it's such a Chus is because Anogas Yichud, the reason why it's irrational is because it has to hide from the Sitrachro, right? But that's a Murdik Chus for us that he will give us Oilam Abba with that avoider. So, therefore, when we are asking, we are blowing shofar, what is a shofar? A ram's horn. We are saying, God, give us an Yichud with the Shafer, even if we have to cry, right? If you're going to say, God's going to say to you, well, why should I give you an Yichud to that level where I will stop the Mekatreg, right? And the answer is because of, remember who used the ram 
Avram. And by the way, the Akedah occurred in Rosh Hashanah. That's when the event occurred. According to the Psikta. It occurred in Rosh Hashanah. So we are saying that give us the Akedah. Remember the Akedah. That's why we, we lane it. What we're really saying is give us the Avedah over rationality. And that's why we blow the Shefer, which is a horn, the ram, which of course is what substituted for Yitzchak, give us the rational based on this Chus of Avram. Because we want Anagas Yichud, because that is what will get you to become our defense attorney. Therefore, we lay in the Akedah. Because the, the, the essence of Rosh Hashanah is that God should save us no matter what. Even if it means he has to become our defense attorney. See? That is why uh, the Akedah is linked on Rosh Hashanah. I'll give you one more idea. The last Nisoyen, as a, uh, you know, as a Agav, what was the last Nisoyen to Avram? This avoid of rationality. Yeah. What was God showing Avram? That in Akras Hayomim, what's the last Nisoyen going to be for your people? Irrationality. Where it's going to look like God is supporting the Goyim. There that Tzlocho, Oizen Tferis is in the hands of Goyim, right? But it's really the irrational avoider that I'm giving to you. So he was being mean, Ramas Tavrom. The avoider, the Akedah, two things. One, it gave us the schus to borrow into our Anagasa Yichud. Really, not Mitzad, only Av, you know, much greater than the Bristol that Russia made with Avram. And it told Avram a murdic soid that the Ika Nisoin in the Achrasayomim is going to be the irrationality, the irrational avoider. Why? Because the only way we can get out of this is through an August Yichod. It's all tied up in the Akedah. See? And that was Agav, the idea of the, of the Akedah. That that is the etzem, you soon that the irrationality that we have today, where we see the Goyim, tremendous proliferation of knowledge in the Arabs and the Russians. And every, 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 every Goy and every Russia's Matzliach and, and all the Frumiyid and there's such, you know, pogroms and all this kind of stuff. And the reason why is because the Russia was Maramist Avram. That Seif Yomov, this is what's going to be for the Jews. Why? Because I will have to activate Be'ik and Hagasayichot in order to get the Jews, you know, to bring the Tikkun HaKlori. Anyway, that is basically the Shen Rashana. And I hope that you know all the questions. How the questions you see wait one second. How the questions how the questions automatically become answered once we have a proper perspective of what Rashana really is. In terms exactly. In terms of what in terms of the question which I asked the, the that God said you can't say hallel because it's for the judgment day. In other words, Yontif it is because I will become their defense attorney. But you cannot say Hala because Hala requires real emotion and not anxiety and fear. You know, it requires, you know, thought you're going to have your son. Yeah, you know, you thought you're going to have your son. I mean, you can't say Hala.